Phil, are you on? I'm on. Can you hear me? I can hear you. All right, let's do this. Let's do it. my podcast. I am Camilla, your high vibe advocate. Give me 15 minutes and I will give you a high vibe world. Actually, I have a very special guest with us today, so it probably will not be just 15 minutes. But as I always say on interview days, if all you have is 15 minutes, feel free to break up the episode into 15 minute segments that work best for you. With us today is Phil Costa former starting center for the Dallas Cowboys and co-author of the Transition Playbook for Athletes, How Elite Athletes Win After Sports. Phil has also made a second career after football, working for a medical device company and assisting heart surgeons during more than 500 operations. And in 2018, Phil graduated with an MBA from Columbia Business School, so without further ado, welcome, Phil, and thank you so much for being with us today. Boy, <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you for having me, Camilla. Of course. And for those of you who don't know, although Phil and I both went to the University of Maryland, that is not how we met. He actually went there after I had already left, and I, I was actually introduced to Phil by a friend in common, also a Maryland alum named Richard Salgado, also known as Big Daddy, and we immediately hit it off because both of us share a goal of helping people overcome obstacles in their lives and helping people live the best life that they can live. So I am very happy that you're here, Phil, because not only are you a fellow Turk, but, and we have that experience in common, but you also have lived your life in a way that is very much aligned with the messages that I deliver here on my podcast. You are a high-level achiever in sports and in academics. You are not afraid of adventure, and you like to inspire and motivate others. And your new book, which I have read, and I have a copy sitting right in front of me right now. That's nice. It's amazing. It's filled with messages that I have shared here in prior episodes, like that you have to believe in yourself when no one else does, because that's what makes you a winner. And always stay close to the things and the people who inspire you, and that patience pays and that it's never too late to start over or to discover a new passion, and that failing sometimes is succeeding, so we shouldn't fear failure, and that we all struggle, but that struggle leads to progress, and that the greatest challenges bring us the greatest rewards and many, many, many other themes. Um, and you are an incredibly gifted athlete, playing for several years in the NFL, starting every game for the Dallas Cowboys for a period of time, and you're an incredibly smart person, hence why you became an industrial salesperson for medical devices, which is a highly skilled and profitable industry. And then you went on to get an MBA from an Ivy League business school. And ultimately, you became a published author. So clearly, you're doing something right. And you know the way to success. But you also embody the essence of this podcast because you know the importance of seeing the world and you love to travel. You're talking to me or to us, actually, from Mexico City right now. See, see, I heard that. Yeah, and <laughs> you have visited over 25 countries and counting. You moved to Spain originally to learn Spanish. So clearly you're not afraid of a challenge and you love adventure. 
And with your book, you're helping millions of people transition from sports into the rest of their lives, motiva- motivating them into setting new goals. So I definitely want to get to all that. But before we get there, I am sure everyone here is dying to know what it was like to be a professional football player since only like one out of every 1,000 high school football players make it to the NFL. So since you have lived that dream, can you tell us a little bit about the yellow brick road to that career? Did you always play football since you were little? Yeah, so first off, go Terps. Yay, go Uh, Terps! (laughs) Thanks to uh, Rich Salgado, Big Daddy, for connecting us. Absolutely. Um, and with football, you know, uh, it's, it's a fun, fun job in the NFL, but it's still a job. And, you know, I played football, uh, from when I was young, you know, if I, I didn't really ever think I was going to be playing the NFL, um, I was prepared, uh, for something else while I was in college, actually similar, you know, you went to law school. I actually, I took the, uh, LSATs my senior year because that's where, I thought I was heading. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah, I was fortunate to, um, you know, play for a sub for a number of years in the NFL. But uh, education, you know, that was always something that was stressed by my parents and in my family. So it was definitely a big part of uh, our big, you know, balancing act of sports and education. And well, but was there ever a time, did you ever feel like you were better than the other kids you were playing with when you were playing football? Was there ever a time when you felt like, wow, like, I have something good here or was it really something you had to really work towards because that was your passion and you really wanted to go to the NFL? Well, I loved playing football and I never looked at it like, Oh my God, I'm so much better. And you know, this and that and the other, it was more, I challenged myself, you know, so I would challenge myself to have a perfect practice when I was in high school, when I was in college, when I was in the pros and you know, I never, the, my entire career, my entire 15 years of playing football, I never had a perfect practice. Wow. Uh, but, you know, by the, by shooting for that goal of trying to be perfect, uh, you know, it landed me in some pretty good places. That's really great. And, you know, it's funny because one of the most popular episodes here on my podcast is actually overcoming imposter syndrome. And I don't mm-hmm. know, are you familiar with what that is? I am, yes. Yeah, so it seems to be a widespread phenomenon, uh, but it's definitely more prevalent in people who hold positions that are hard to achieve, which obviously playing in the NFL certainly qualifies. Um, So a lot of people, they feel like, you know, they call their success just luck or good timing, and they are afraid that, you know, they're not as as good or as smart or as, you know, as, you know, whatever it is that people perceive them to be. So they're afraid of disappointing people. They're afraid of being found out, you know, in a way. Um, did you ever feel that way when you were in the NFL or ever in your life? You know, not too long ago, actually, was when I first started day one at Columbia Business School, where I was going for uh, my MBA. And day one there, you know, it's like, these are some (laughs) really, really smart people. Um, And, you know, I've been playing football for the last so many years they've been in the corporate world, they've been starting businesses, they have, you know, a leg up in a lot of different areas. Right. And it definitely, you know, I, I did experience that. But what I did come to realize was the skills that I brought after the two years of going to school, you know, they brought certain skills, but so did I as, you know, a leadership position, 
uh, on the field performing in front of millions of people. Uh, in college, being a captain of a team, in high school, being a captain of a team, you know, we brought different skills to the table. And that's where I was able to add value uh, in the classroom in that way. Absolutely. You know, there's so many transferable skills because I remember even being in law school, I remember thinking that because people came from different backgrounds. Some people came straight from school. Some people had an entire career. There was a guy in my class who was 67 years old and he used wow. to be a podiatrist. <laughs> And That's he was incredible. doing career change, but, you know, and he became an expert witness after going to law school. So each person is bringing something new to the table. So I totally agree with you that there's definitely transferable skills there. And it doesn't matter what your background is when you get into somewhere, your life skills, your experience is always valuable and you can always transfer, especially coming from professional sports because that's grueling scheduling, right? Like how early did you have to get up to go <laughs> practice every day? It is. That's what I mean when I said before, it's it's a fun job. It's a great job. Uh, but you're there at, in the NFL. You're there at 630 in the morning. Right. You, leave, you leave at 630 at night and you're watching film after that, you know, and every morning when I would walk into the facility, I was like, man, I'm lucky to be here. <laughs> and I really thought that every day I'd look up like this is awesome. Uh, and, you know, but then at the end of the day, you're still putting a grueling schedule in. Uh, but you have to, I think at NFL athletes, you, you have to love it. Uh, and if you don't, you won't hang around too long. But, you know, that's such a big part of whatever you're doing is to have a passion for it. Yeah. I if you don't have passion, it will show. It will show and, not, and it will ruin your life. Because if you're doing something you're not passionate about, then what are you doing? As far as I know, this is the only life we live, right? So it's kind of as far as I know too. Yeah, it's, it's kind of tough. Like if you're not going to be doing something you're passionate about, then you know what else are you going to be doing? But you know, one question I have about you being in the NFL is: Does your life change? Do you start feeling differently about yourself? Do you start questioning people's motives and becoming your friend, or like do you feel like you're at the top of the world? Like how does that feel? Because it is a pretty unique experience. I think you you know it's all about who you surround yourself with. And life doesn't all of a sudden change from one day to the next when you're in the NFL. It does, it does in some ways. But what I mean with that is if you're surrounding yourself with the right people in college and before then, you're going to do the same thing in the NFL uh, while, while you're a player. And while you do have more notoriety, you are under a microscope right. a lot more. Um, you know, you have to make the smart decisions. But it's, it's, it wasn't like... You know, you're still you're playing football. Uh, you know, you're you're you know living a, a little different life, but it's not you know completely shocking, I guess, to me. Or it okay. wasn't. Well, that's a good thing because you kept yourself grounded and you were definitely grateful, like you were saying. You were you know they had gratitude for being there. Um, and the thing about sports, especially football, is that it's very very hard on the body. So it's pretty known for being you know a very um, short short career right because the human body is not it's just not made to endure that kind of activity for decades on end so did you ever wonder or even worry about what life would be like after football while you're playing football so the average career in the nfl is 3.2 years i was fortunate to play past that average you're playing or while i was playing i can't say that i thought you know too much about the next step which is probably you know, why I did struggle with the transition ultimately to overcome that 
and a lot of help along the way, but, you know, a big uh, catalyst, big driving force behind writing the transition playbook for athletes and to help other athletes is because this is a resource that I wanted to help athletes struggle less right. at that time. Yeah, that's, that's really, it's really cool that you're doing that. I mean, clearly you transitioned successfully into a career of industrial sales of medical devices, which is a really great career. And I actually want to know, how did that come about? And what was your ex- transition experience like? I know you said it was a struggle, but what, what was it like? So it was humbling. In the beginning, uh, you know, after I struggled with the transition from the NFL, uh, I had people who helped me and helped me get out of that hole. Uh, but once I got into the medical sales, it, it was very humbling. I'll share a story, quick story, where I walk into a doctor's office and I'm there to make a sales call. I say it to the uh, front desk person, you know, I'm so-and-so from XYZ company. Uh, is doctor, you know, so-and-so available? And at that moment, the doctor comes out, looks at me, doesn't even say a word, waves his hand like if in a fashion of saying, no, go away. And that was it. Oh, my gosh. And, and 18 months prior to that, you know, I was getting paid a lot of money to sit there to sign autographs where people are waiting in <laughs> right. line, where people wait in line for me. Yeah. So it was truly a very humbling experience. And I learned that, you know, things have changed and I learned I better make better sales calls because that wasn't very good. Maybe so... you should have signed up some women doctors. <laughs> Uh, that was totally unprofessional of me to say but um so yeah so I think I want to talk about your new book because you did say um you know that what inspired you and I guess you're also you have a co-author Rob Curley who I guess you went to high school with right yeah so I met Rob Curley uh at the age of 13 when we were both in the same uh, same home home homeroom class and we've been best friends ever since uh Rob he went on to play uh, college football at Lafayette, broke all the records there, uh, went on to play professionally as a quarterback in Europe. And he also worked in sales for a number of years. So when we were both kind of done our football career. We linked up and it, the book, it was really a three-year process that we put together. Um, but yeah, Rob has been you know instrumental as somebody who I trust and somebody I love working with. And we had so much fun working together to create this book. That's so cool. So I guess what inspired you was really what you were saying that, um, you know, you, you wish you had thought about the transition earlier on and what, what else inspired you to write the book? It was inspired by the same reason. You know, I think that any product comes to market is I read all the other books out there on this topic for athletes and I didn't engage with any of them. I personally, you know, did not like them because they were written in two categories. The first category is written by the sports psychologist who writes for other PhDs and writes a white paper for, you know, that audience. I didn't connect with that as an athlete. The next category was written by the former athlete who has awesome advice to share. The issue was they had 200 pages of biography and the great advice is on page 50 on page 70. So what Rob and I did with the transition playbook for athletes is we took that great advice from page 50 and page 70, put that into one chapter for one athlete and recreated that for a hundred athletes. So that's what makes it unique. We believe. 
That's amazing. That really sets your book apart then. And I have a copy of the book. So I know that you and Rob were able to connect with various athletes, literally like 100 athletes, 25 Olympians. And you got their perspective and their transition story. So talk about how you were able to do that. You know, were all these athletes already your friends or did you have to make some cold calls too? So that's what everybody says. Or they say, uh, <laughs> like, wow, you really know a lot of athletes. And yeah, like, I was well, impressed. I was like, look at you, Phil. <laughs> my God, where did you have the time to make so many friends? <laughs> so, so I know them now. But, but honestly, before, you know, uh, three years ago, I only knew one Olympian. Um, wow. And we have athletes from over 30 sports. And honestly, out of the 100 so we have in there, I probably know personally 25 or I knew actually you know I knew before 25 um so the way and way we went about getting these athletes is we reached out to them we would ask for contacts friends of friends you know cold call cold email and heard no uh, a lot of times but we heard yes a lot because when you talk about the topic of transition athletes really care about this topic because they know how hard it is. So that's why we were able to get so many incredible Olympic athletes, so many people who, you know, it cost a lot of money to get their time. And they were willing to share their advice. Yeah. They were willing to share their advice because they know, you know, how difficult it was and they want to help the next generation uh, accelerate this process. Right. Absolutely. I think that, you know, that's what you're doing, too, like right here, right now. I think, you know, and one of the best and most important lessons that you teach about the transition is that you have to be ready to make the calls and you have to know what you bring to the table and be able to show the person on the other side of that call what they would that that they would want you on their team, why they would want you on, on their team. And, you know, which for high level athletes is a big switch given that throughout your whole career, like you were saying, everyone is calling you and now you are the one calling people. So tell us a little bit about that. What, like would leveraging your connections while you're still at your prime as an athlete pay off later on when it comes time to transition out of sports? Well, John Register is one of the Olympic athletes in the book. And I think he says it best is when an elite athlete goes to these charity events, goes and is paid to speak somewhere and you're meeting, you know, other professionals is don't show up as the celebrity athlete. Show up as someone who truly wants to be there, who wants to connect, who wants to network with others. And that's going to bear fruit after because people are going to remember, you know, how you were, how you acted. And, you know, John and we go on to say in the book that, you know, not everybody's going to be in your circle because everybody wants to be and a lot of people want to be in these athletes circle. Right. So you do still have to be selective who makes it in there. And probably the you know number one way of saying is of the deciding who's going to be in that circle is if they're asking you to invest in something right away to, from day one or day two and they meet you. Uh, that's probably not the person in your circle <laughs> because, you know, as you know, successful people, they, they don't need your money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, that's not the rule 100% of the time, but it's a good, you know, starting point to follow. That's really good. You know, and it's funny because in one of my podcast episodes is about surrounding yourself with positive people. It's like 
in that episode I talk about, it's not just that, but it's also, you know, being surrounding yourself with the energy that you want for yourself and also the energy you want to, you know, put out there because, you know, my grandmother always said, like, tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> so gosh, it's, I'm a it's big, very big, true, big believer right? in that. That's yeah. so true. And, you know, one thing I love about the the transition playbook, like your book, is that it's not just for athletes, you know, because it really I mean, I'm a workers' compensation attorney. I represent injured workers. I see how people are literally out of a sudden, out of the blue, forced out of their job because of an injury. And obviously they're not pro athletes so that they don't have, you know, the spotlight and the fame and the money that comes from that. But they still have an entire life that they thought they were going to have from that career. Now, all of a sudden, they have to learn a new skill. They have to go back to school. They have to start brand new into something that's completely different for them. And not just that, but people go through transitions their entire lives. You know, I went through transition because I worked for a firm and then I started my own firm. And I definitely made all the good connections that I could while I was still at that other firm because I knew I wanted to start my own firm. So I wanted to meet the doctors that were going to send me cases. They were going to send me clients and also meet other attorneys. So I definitely like the idea um, of meeting the people that, you know, that are going to be good for you, that you're also going to be good for. Because I think I'm sure you agree with this, right? And I say that a lot also on my podcast that you really have to learn the importance of doing onto others. Do you feel like that? Like, the more you do unto others, the more you bring something to someone else without really wanting anything in return. It's just the fact that it really makes you feel good to be able to help. Do you feel like that just magnifies, like it just it multiplies the amount of things and, and connections and positive things that come back to you? Right. Well, I think it's having this mentality, which is all ships will rise. Right. And it's a very similar to what you're saying, but the mentality of all ships will rise is, you know, share information you know, don't think somebody's going to steal this information from you or, you know, just be positive and help others when you can. And that's going to pay so much, you know, for, for yourself in the future and for the other person that it's just a great attitude. And I think the way to be, you know what I, I mean? Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like these connections that we make from helping people from genuinely and, you know, enjoying the process of helping somebody else grow. It really is amazing how, how how great it is, how good it feels to have played a part in the web of life and, you know, all these different amazing, successful people that you played a role in helping get there. And I do believe in that. And even when they don't become successful, just the fact that you're doing something good and you're putting, you know, that energy out there. I really believe in that. And, and it, it really I don't believe in competition. I don't I feel like the only competition we have is with ourselves, you know. Because you can only be as good as you can be, right? So that's really what we should focus in and just being right. the best person that we can be. And even for you, especially because you were a pro athlete, I'm sure it was very true for you too. Like just focusing on you and, you know, spending that time, um, you know, making the, being the best pro athlete you could be, right? Is that how you felt too? Or did you ever feel like envious or like you competed with other people? Like, did you look at someone else and be like, oh, I want to be better than that guy? Or did you always feel like, oh, I have to be the best I can be? So the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, Jason Garrett, uh, he was my head coach when I was down there. And he would always say, control what you can control. And that is focusing on yourself. You know, it's not comparing. It's like you said, it's being the best you can be. Right. But taking the next step on that is taking And what I would do was I would look around the locker room, right? 
And I would say it wasn't envious. It was more of what can I learn from other successful people? And I would look around the locker room and say, well, this guy's been here for 10 years. This person's only been here for three, but wow, look how great they're doing. And I would ask myself, what are they doing that is so unique or so special? And I would try to imitate that quality and take one quality or two qualities from each person that I truly respected and put that into my own game. And, you know, I was fortunate to be able to hang around for a little while and be successful in some areas, I think, by implementing that process. That's really cool. I totally agree with that, too. I think that's very true for anybody in any any field, because you have to see what is working for, for certain people. And if it works for you, then it could really help you. And that's actually another important thing to say that, you know, in your book, you know, or at least that your book makes crystal clear the importance of having mentors. And I completely agree. In fact, I would not hear where I am now if it had not been for the mentors that I was able to connect with in my life. But I want to, I want to learn from you also, what is your perspective on that? How important were mentors to you and why were they important? How did you go about getting your mentors and who were these people? Who were the mentors in your life? Well, mentors are so critical and during sports, it's a little easier because a lot of times coaches are mentors. Your teammates can be mentors. And after sports, it makes it a lot more difficult because the coaches and teammates, they're not there in the same capacity they were before. Uh, and I was very fortunate to have, you know, my mom, dad, uh, sister, and brother, you know, they, we were all very close and they were mentors in a lot of ways. Uh, the one mentor, and I, I, he has a big acknowledgement at the end of the book, his name's Tony Lorraine, who he's always been there from high school, college, pro, and even now, I actually just texted him like 10 minutes ago, and, you know, <laughs> I think the, the biggest, one of the coolest and best takeaways I learned from the book, and that, that's what was fun, is I was learning too. Right. But a very successful athlete by the name of Jordan Steffi, he, uh, he says, the earlier and quicker you can give value back to your mentor, the stronger that relationship will be. Mm -hmm. And I try to implement that now with my mentors, you know, people that I meet that I respect is I ask myself, how can I give them value? Mm -hmm. So that's just one of the lessons uh, learned from the book. And why, why it was really super cool to have all this information from all these different people and advice from different people, because I was actively implementing that in my life over the last few years. That's so good because I totally I, I believe in that too because with my mentor that was the first question because I felt I even felt bad I felt like I was just taking 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 you know I, he was helping right. me so much connecting me with all these people teaching me all these lessons always there for me whenever I needed and all of a sudden I'm like wait how can I help you because I want to help you and it's funny because right. that is true when you are a mentor to someone else you'll start to notice that that's the kind of seed you plant on them too, because it's kind of like paying it forward. You plant the seed of wanting to help when you are a mentor. So, and it is true for us who had mentors and I feel like everyone should have a mentor. You start to want to help them back and because that's just the right thing to do. And it, it is true that we have to bring value to them because it also shows them, you know, how successful they've been as mentors right. uh, and our success really showcases their success in so many ways. Um, and, you know, one of the incredibly scary things that I would think in transitioning from being an athlete into no longer being in that world 
is that you go from being a celebrity to being anonymous in a new world that you're totally unfamiliar with, like you were talking about when you went into the doctor's office. And that must feel really scary. At least I would be very scared if, if I was in that situation. So <laughs> how did you deal with that transition? And was it really scary for you? Well, I think it's how you view it as a player, you know, and, you know, you use the word celebrity uh, as a player. I mean, in some ways you feel like that. In other ways, you're just like, you know, I would feel like it, uh, every day it's like going to work. Um, but I think it hits it different ways. And the example at the doctor's office is just like embodies that story of it's not that I thought I was just like, you know, big time celebrity and like, you know, here's VIP everything. It's not that <laughs> it wasn't that mentality, but I guess there was something because I was used to, you know, being, uh, you know, in a certain kind of situation and, you know, people responding to me. Well, <laughs> you know, not that it was just that one doctor, you know, I had that many times <laughs> where I was humbled like that, which was, was a good thing because I learned it now. Um, it was a really good learning experience. Yeah, it's humbling is a, always a good learning experience, isn't it? I mean, I could, I, I've never been a celebrity in any way, shape or form, but I, you know, I had my own mini celebrity moments. And, you know, just hearing the word no, when you expect to always hear yes, is always a humbling experience. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'm curious. So what led you to retire from football and when and how did you know that it was time? Because like I said, I know that it's a very physical sport and I know that it takes a toll on your body. So how do you tell? How do you know it's time to go into something new? It's different for everyone. For me, I like I said before, I loved playing football. Uh, I knew it was kind of dumb when, you know, my fourth year, I, I was kind of injury riddled. I was coming back from a surgery and then going into my fifth year, uh, I went out to Indianapolis where I was signed with the Colts. And physically, if I could have played, I would have. Uh, you know, I was under a squat rack. I was lifting weights. And my body physically just couldn't do it anymore. And I had a, a real moment, like, look in the mirror, kind of like, what am I doing? And, and that's where I didn't know what the next steps were. I just knew I couldn't do this anymore. Um, and it was tough. You know, I, I played football. Imagine. Yeah, it was, it was really tough. You know, I played football for a long time, and not to know what the next thing in is is scary. Well, there's so much in that. You're looking at yourself in the mirror. Your identity is right in front of you. You see yourself as a football player because that's who you've been for all those years, your whole life, pretty much. You know, since you've been playing since you were a kid, it's like, you know, and you've been pl playing professionally. Now you're, you know, you don't know where the next step is, and you also are giving up money you know you're giving up a lot everything you know into this well, brand new world right? yeah well to no to add to what you said Camille is as a rookie in the NFL I, I had a sign in my apartment that said football is what I do it's not who I am that's very well good. I love it, that it, it was and I loved it at the time too and I still do uh it still didn't make the transition easier. You know, I thought of myself as more than a football player, but the transition was still tough because my identity in so many ways, more than I even realized was wrapped up in, Hey, I'm a football player, mm -hmm. you know? Well, that's normal. It's expected. I think it would be weird if that wasn't the case. You know? <laughs> I um, know, but it's like, <laughs> I know what you're saying. You know, 
one of the topics that I normally talk about in this podcast is how every ending is a new beginning and how there are positives to every chapter in our lives. And I would imagine that actually becoming anonymous and, you know, that whole humbling thing actually does have a lot of advantages, like not having your personal life become everyone else's business, not having your every move be scrutinized by the world, you know, not being in that microscope that you were talking about. So did you feel that when you were a pro athlete, there was actually a lot of pressure to being a perfect person, which is an impossibly high standard to hold? I didn't. And I, like I said, I never looked at it as a celebrity like that. Um, you know, with being in the NFL and, you know, with what comes along with it, you are responsible to your team, to your teammates, to the fans, uh, to do the right thing on and off the field. But the celebrity part of that, you know, I, I never looked at it like that. Um, and it, I don't know, that's what I think made it a, a lot easier with the transition. And I, here's the thing, too, as a lineman in the NFL, it's a lot different than being a quarterback, too. <laughs> you know, well, trust, yeah. trust me. <laughs> yes. Well, there aren't as many cameras on your face. <laughs> Ex- exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which is good. It's so a it's very much, much thing. different. It might be funny because probably in the NFL, mm-hmm. you, you know, you might wonder what it would have been like to be like that. But then at the end, you're like, actually, this is great. <laughs> I won't, it won't be it would be a much easier transition otherwise. So um, and yeah, like I, I mean, another topic that I like to talk about here is actually the curse of the blessed and how when people seemingly have it all, they feel guilty for not feeling happy and fulfilled mm-hmm. all the time and for having perfectly normal feelings like anxiety and stress and depression. And I'm wondering, did that ever happen to you? Did you ever feel like you couldn't really share your true feelings because people would judge you for uh, for having those feelings? Because in their mind, you shouldn't complain given that you were so blessed. Um, you know, did you ever go through a time when you felt like you couldn't really, I don't know, express how you really felt because mm-hmm. you were afraid of how people would receive it? I know what you're saying with this, and I think it does happen a lot. Uh, fortunately, I think this is one of my strengths mm-hmm. because when I was going through a tough time, even in, you know, say college, my parents get divorced and, you know, I would go, I went to see a counselor and I actively sought that out. Um, at wow. different points of my life, I've actively sought out a counselor, um, or somebody to talk to or to say to a friend, be like, you know, I'm struggling right now. I'm, I'm not, I'm not in a great place. Uh, And I think that's a strength to be able to acknowledge that knowing you'll get it. I would overcome that and get out of that hole Uh, and not to make it lighthearted because I was in a lot of tough positions, but to just have the strength to say, you know, I'm struggling right now. This is where I'm at to somebody you trust. I think that that's really, really beautiful what you just said, because it's so important and so many people do struggle with being honest about how they feel and trusting someone else won't judge them negatively for feeling their feelings, you know? And I think one of the best things about your book and that you do, and it's also something that I'm trying to do here in my podcast is validating people's feelings and their struggles, because the truth is we all struggle. We struggle emotionally. We struggle spiritually. We just struggle. It's a human trait. And for me, having someone else acknowledge that they too were going through similar experiences somehow has always made my experience more bearable. Is that something that was also true for you? Well, it's setting expectations, you know, and that's so true with when you are struggling, you know, it's it's vulnerability. 
when you have to say to somebody, I'm not doing well, I'm not in a good place, or I don't feel good about this, you're being vulnerable and letting a wall down, letting people see something in you uh, that maybe you don't want them to see. But by doing that, it also lets the other person's wall down too. And then they'll start to share and they'll say, hey, I've been there, you know, or hey, here's what I'd recommend, uh, you know, because you're not the first to go through this. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. We all go through it. And it's, I always say that in my, some, there was, I don't remember now all the different episodes because it's been so many episodes now, but I remember saying at mm-hmm. some point here that we connect, you know, with people best when we are struggling and when we do let our guard down and when we are vulnerable because that's how we actually earn their trust. And that's how we also, I don't know, somehow trust ourselves more and, and how we grow. And how we connect as humans is through our hardships. It's through our struggles. So I think that that's a really cool thing that you were able to do that and that you're doing that right now for people. And, you know, transitions are present in everyone's lives and they are hard and they're also inevitable. And they're also a crucial part of the journey of life. So going back to the book, what are some of the main advices or mantras or affirmations or lessons that you want not only athletes in transition, but people in transition, whatever that transition may be to know, like what are some of the the biggest takeaways from your book? Well, the the biggest takeaway that it's for an athlete, it can be used for other people who are transitioning uh, is this. The earlier you start to prepare for the inevitable transition, the more successful you will be. And imagine somebody who's going through retirement. Well, if they're going to retire next day and they don't know, they haven't thought about for the last year, a few years, what to do, well, that's a lot harder than somebody who has thought about it for the upcoming years and say, oh, I know I've been practicing this on the side. I know I want to do this next when I retire from my job. So the earlier they prepare, the more successful they're going to be in the next thing. So basically, like they should really think about that moment and have hobbies. And like you said, you know, in that, you know, you remember you said about the writing that you had, uh, know that it's something you do, but it's not who you are and what you are is so much more than what you do. I think the challenge, and that's, what's interesting about the biggest takeaway is it's also the biggest challenge is right. especially for an athlete. Uh, you don't want to think about the next step. And, no, it's and, true. Nobody does. No, and then you know, if you're retiring, you know, maybe you don't. You probably, I don't know this. I haven't experienced it, but you don't probably don't want to think about the next step either. You know, because this is what you know. This is comfortable. I think it's a little different for an athlete because they think any, and this was my experience at least, is anything that's not focusing on your sport and making you better with that is a distraction. So thinking about the next thing after sports is a distraction. And I challenge athletes because here, here's a story from the book that embodies this idea is that there was an Olympian, Karen Davies, who she was an Olympic rower. And in 2012, she was out at the Olympic Village in London. Well, the next day she's going to go compete in the Olympics And the night before, you'd imagine all she's thinking about is training. You know, it's what she's done for her entire life. Well, the night before, she's filling out clerkship applications for law school. And a few months fast forward, she gets into the law school. 
Well, now backtrack back to the next day when she was in the hotel room. The next day, she's going to compete in the Olympics. Uh, she wins the gold medal. So she was able to be su extremely successful at both things. And I challenge athletes to do that. That's really good. Because I think that I, I think there's this myth that you can't do two things at once, you know, that it's not possible, but it is possible. People have done it. People have. Yeah. And, and it, it's something that it, it enriches you, I guess, on both sides as an athlete. And also eventually in her case as a lawyer, you know, these are all experiences that show that she can multitask and she like she has all these different skills that she can put into use together. Um, so that's really she, great. Yeah, she actually has a really cool story. I was talking to her like probably about a month ago. And she told me, she's like, oh, I'm actually going back to compete in the Olympics. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. She's like, so she's, yeah, it's, she's coming wow. back to compete. So that's pretty cool. Well, that's really good. And I'm so glad that you actually got to connect to all these people because now you get to follow up and see what they're doing. And, you know, it's, it's such a cool thing that, it, you know, this experience of writing the book must have been fantastic and connecting you to the next chapter in your life altogether. Well, it was, you know, it wasn't always, you know, yeses. It was a lot of, uh, a lot of emails, a lot of people going through people. Uh, and, you know, like I said, the athletes were, who were in the book, you know, they, they loved sharing their advice because they went through the struggle and they came out the other end successful. That's really good. And so did you, you know, so I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad that you were here to talk about this today and, I want to say that it is such a pleasure to know you and it's such an honor to call you my friend. Oh, you too. And you are, you are such a beautiful person inside and out. And, you know, unfortunately, since all beginnings must come to an end <laughs> so that new beginnings can emerge, our interview must also wrap up right now, quite unfortunately, because I could actually talk to you all day long. <laughs> I know we, we could talk for a while here. <laughs> but, um, but I want to thank you so much for being here with us, Phil. And I want to encourage everyone listening to grab a copy of the Transition Playbook by Phil Costa and Rob Curley. I got my copy on Amazon. It arrived here in two days. It was amazing. I love this book. I also think this book is a great gift to loved ones because inevitably it will ring a bell with literally everybody who reads it. It's such an easy read. It really sets itself apart from all the other self-help books about transition out there. And Phil, you are welcome to come and talk to me anytime you want. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we are totally in sync when it comes to helping people through the toughest times in their lives and raising the world's vibration one soul at a time. And I just want to say, you know, do you have any, any ways that people can contact you, you know, your Instagram or website or anything you want to plug in right now? Yeah. Well, first, thank you. It's been so much fun. And when we met, I can, you know, I could feel the energy from you, just really positive, good energy that you want to be around. Thank and I think you. that shows obviously through your podcast. Um, but back, back to your question is, you know, they can, people can follow a pretty cool Instagram, really cool Instagram we're doing at the transition playbook. Uh, they can go to our website, uh, the transition playbook.com and find more information about the book, about uh, us there. And, you know, they can get the book anywhere. They buy books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's everywhere right now. Yeah, it's anywhere where books are sold, as far as I know. Um, and I definitely follow you on Instagram, and I recommend that everybody does, too. It has amazing quotes, and it inspires me every day. So thank you again, Phil. It was really nice having you here. And... Thank you. No, seriously, thank you for having me on. Ah, thank you.
And that is all we have for today. Thank you for being here with me and for listening to me and for being a part of my journey. If this podcast is helping you, please share it so it reaches the hearts and ears that need it most. I am Camilla, your High Vibe Advocate. Looking forward to your outreach at highvibeadvocate.com. And as always, looking forward to our next meeting right here on my channel. See you next Wednesday.